Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We're going to focus this entire episode on Cala Health. We'll have CEO Renee Ryan in the booth during Newmarket's Newsmakers. We'll have Deanna Harshbarger. She is Vice President of Product at Cala Health, talking about how Cala Health's design is helping to drive interest in the device. And then later on, we'll connect with Doug Bean, who is Chief Commercial Officer and is in charge of building a market for the Cala Trio. So lots to learn about in this exciting area. I wanted to uh, let you know that uh, if you're interested in this sort of technology in sensors, you should really join us on Tuesday on our Device Talks Tuesdays, brought to you by Resonetics. The title is How Electromechanical and Fiber Optic Sensors Can Be Used to Collect Data in Medical Devices. So uh, going forward, more medical devices will need to have sensor sensor technology. So uh, make sure you're on top of all the trends. Register at devicetalks.com for the Device Talks Tuesdays, which happens at 4 p.m. on Tuesday. You can watch it live or you can watch it on demand, but go to devicetalks.com to find out more information about our presentation by Resonetics. Before we begin this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, I want to remind you that Device Talks West is happening on October 19th and 20th. Once again, you can find out more information at devicetalks.com. Finally, I want to uh, thank our friends at Acuity MD for sponsoring this episode. I have a short interview in the episode with CEO Mike Manavukas, who is at our Device Talks Boston conference and has also been uh, part of our podcast. So it's great to have Acuity MD's story here. So in this first clip, I ask Mike, tell us about Acuity MD. Let's listen. Thanks, Tom. AcuityMD is a software and data platform that accelerates access to medical technology. We were founded because we saw how difficult it was for med tech companies to gain visibility into their markets and to gain visibility into who uses their products on a daily basis. And at the same time, we saw the multitude of new data becoming increasingly available in the healthcare space. So we launched our first commercial product back in 2020, right at the start of COVID. And it was a targeting and CRM platform that helps med tech reps identify and predict new opportunities for their products and helps the commercial teams better forecast demand. Well, thanks, Mike Manavukas, for that. If you want to find out more information about AcuityMD, go to acuitymd.com. Now let's get this podcast going. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. Doing well. Doing Moving well. through the summer, hot summer in Minneapolis. I know, I know. We are. We still have very temperate uh, temperatures here in Boston. I hope it stays this way. Wow. 60s, 70s. We are. We are, but we'll pay for it in the end. We always do. Karma, man. It was 100 degrees on Monday. I could have, like, grilled without turning on my grill. And you could have dried your clothes without your clothes dryer, which I know was broken as well, right? So you yes, I'm into so. the intricacies of clothing dryer uh, <laughs> repair. Which, which you know, fun story. When I was in college a hundred years ago, I I actually had a stint working at a dryer factory, so I I knew more. I knew enough to get myself in trouble when the when the repairman came over. I was like, oh, I could. 
I could maybe have hung that belt like 20 years ago, but I, I'm not going to try doing that now. <laughs> a dryer factory. Yes. All right. Were you attending school somewhere uh, outside the U.S.? Or uh, <laughs> I didn't realize no, they, they still, they still make dryers they, here? Okay. They still do. They still do. Yeah. Let's move into another. It's, I know it's shocking. Another very cool technology. Let's talk about medical technology. We've got uh, got a third person in the booth today. We have Renee Ryan, the CEO of Cala Health. Renee, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's exciting to have you here. So I know we had tried to do this earlier and uh, and I got sick with something, but here we are. We're back together again. In fact, we dedicate this entire episode to, yeah. to Cala Health. Oh, wow. We'll be talking with you, of <laughs> yeah. course. We'll be talking with Deanna Harshbarger, the VP of Product. We'll hear from her a little bit later. And Doug Bean, Chief Commercial Officer. He'll uh, he'll wrap up. So we'll we'll have your whole Cala's whole life story here in today's episode. So it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, first, Chris, I don't I don't want to put any pressure on your kids. But uh, interesting fact about okay. Renee, she shared in the podcast when she was on the first time back in uh, back in 2020. Renee, Renee skipped kindergarten. Good for you. Do not be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Chris. You just had your oldest child uh, finish kindergarten. I want you to. Yes. Let, I want you to know. No pressure. You know, there's. He still probably has a very bright future, even though he wasn't able to skip kindergarten. Like, why didn't you? You come on. You could have exceeded past us. I mean, you could have. You could have copied more letters better and like <laughs> read more words. Your sight words. Work on your sight words. That's right. No, it was. It was. It was. My mom was a single mom working, and I, there was an all-day preschool, and then there was a, a grammar school. That I was fortunate that my great aunt, who was a nun and an educator, oh, nice. she actually was the principal of the school, and so that was the only way I made it. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a great aunt who was a nun too. You did. What was her name? I, um, her name was, oh my gosh, now, um, Lorene Fetter. She, uh, born in 1900, like passed away in the nineties, wow. but I, I, I remember we'd go over to another great aunt's for dinner and she'd be there and she'd like, I mean, she like was still taking the bus around Columbus, Ohio in her eighties collecting shoes for donation and, and stuff. But I remember, I just remember she had a really good way of just like making me eat my vegetables and, you know, like, uh, making me like toe the line, you know, like it'd be, it'd be good times. Mine, mine was named, uh, her, she was sister Lucy to all of us, sister Lucida. And oh, she wow. came to my wedding and I picked up her veil. She was, bald as a day is long, no hair under her, under her, under her veil, but she had dyed her few gray hairs that she had this beautiful, like reddish orange color and curled them for an honor of my wedding. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Wow. This, this was a gold mine. I just thought it'd be a quick kindergarten joke, but this is great. I have no, no nuns that I'm aware of in my family, but. uh... Oh, you missed out, Tom. You missed out. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Renee, let's fast forward a bit past kindergarten and talk about uh, how did you find your way into the, the med tech industry? Yeah. Um, it, I always say the healthcare bug bit me. Um, out of college, I knew I was a good student. You've heard that story. I wanted to go somewhere where instead of get, you know, paying somebody to learn, I was going to get paid to learn. So the two logical paths were investment banking and consulting. So I started in, in investment banking, a small boutique in, investment bank in San Francisco that focused on technology and healthcare. And my first project was a financing for a biotechnology company. And I was just blown away by what the impact of innovation could be in helping patients with certain diseases. And so that was it. Wow. And you went from there to uh, investing for JJDC? After 16 long years, very yeah. long years in investment banking, uh, I went to J&J as an investor. And then uh, one of the companies I actually gave money to was Cala Health. 
That's amazing. Was this the first company that you've invested in that you thought you might want to be part of? You know, I did a lot of work, as you know, in the surgical robotics area when I was at J&J. So I invested in Oris and I started Verb Surgical and spent a lot of time in those areas. And, you know, my thought process was that maybe one day I would go that path. But as J&J began to acquire both Verb and Oris, um, I uh, thought about the future a little bit differently. And I wanted to next explore a real startup. And, and Cala was at the time about 35 employees. Today, we're over 100. And it's just been a blast to grow this. Very cool. How uh, we talked about Verb last week with Steve Osterley on the podcast. Uh, what is your? How do you feel about how that's gone? Are you able to to share your opinion as to how that all worked out? You know, I I have not. It was um it was a huge development project, and so I know they're still working hard on it. Yeah. I read what you guys read, honestly, in terms of the press releases from J and J and Medtronic with the Hugo. Um, I do know that the Monarch, which was a platform that Oris had advanced, um, is doing extremely well and continues to benefit lung cancer patients. And so that, to me, is um, it's all about getting that innovation to a patient, and that's rewarding. So let's talk about uh, about where you are now, about Cala Health. Uh, tell us a bit about the company. We're going to learn all about it today with our interviews, but uh, give us the 10,000-foot uh, view. So we have been commercialized with our first technology, the Cala Trio, since late 2019. Uh, we generally, I'd say we were in a kind of beta launch mode for our first two plus years. And as we got to know, you'll talk to Doug about this. We figured out what the growth formula was. We have started expanding our sales footprint. And so this year we've added, uh, we're now up to eight reps. We have in-market directors of payer relations. So we're beginning all the conversations with the payers. We've just come through uh, an appeals process with CMS through, through early June. And so the footprint of Cala from a marketing and sales and market access perspective has grown dramatically. And uh, tell us a bit about uh, about Trio. How does it work? What does it do? And again, we'll learn we'll learn a bit about it. But uh, but let's get folks. Let's let's not uh, keep people in suspense. Sure. So uh, the the mission of the company is to bring forward bioelectronic medicine to treat chronic diseases. And so no one was out there developing a neuromodulation wearable watch. And so that's what we had to build. And so we have a a beautiful device. It was original DeNovo 510K back in 2018. Uh, It has a stimulator puck, which is at the top of the wrist, generates our proprietary waveform called TAPS, and then a, a, a band that wraps around the wrist that houses our proprietary electrodes. And so today we treat a condition called essential tremor. About 7 to 10 million Americans have this condition, and it is a progressive disease and gets more severe and more debilitating with, uh, with time and age. And so the patients are ship the device to their home. They put it on their wrist, and the first thing they do is they do what's called a tremor task. That task is assigned by the physician when they write the prescription. And what that the device is doing during that task is a 20-second postural hold. The device is reading the frequency of the tremor. One of the aha moments that, that our founder had was that tremor itself is a, is a t- temporal condition, has timing um, of the oscillations in the brain. And so we time the frequency of the tremor, set the stimulation pattern to meet the needs of that individual patient. Mm-hmm. Once that calibration is done, patient can start the the device therapy and they get a 40 minute dose of stimulation. And they often get upwards of 90 minutes of benefit, meaning tremor reduction after the stim is turned off. It's amazing. It must be must be great to be part of something where you're seeing almost an immediate impact on on a person's life. Yeah. 
uh, I will tell you, we have many, many stories of patients uh, who, you know, almost as simple as we've restored their dignity. You know, if they're not making a mess when they're out to lunch with their girlfriends or they're playing, you know, bridge at the club, they are so happy and they're so pleased to have the tremor burden reduced. That's amazing. So how is that uh, last question? And we'll kind of start rolling to the newsmakers. But uh, so you went from investor to CEO. They're they're opposite sides of the table during the fundraising process. But other than that, they're also very different lines of work. What do you like about being a CEO? How was the transition? I, you know, I, I, I love it. I mean, uh, important to me was was having Kate Rosenbluth, our founder, uh, stay on this journey. She's now our founder and, and chief scientific officer. Um, and we've built a great team. I mean, you're going to meet Doug and Deanna. They're phenomenal people. And I'm, I'm so blessed to have uh, just great people on our team. So, the role from investor to, to CEO, um, you know, was a was a journey I had not planned. To be fairly honest, it, um, it was a, it was an opportunity I just couldn't turn down or couldn't look away from because the ability to do what we do to deliver a new product into a market, create a market, is is almost unheard of, right? Mm. Um, and so we. We knew there was a risk to take, and I have a pretty high risk appetite, and I hired great people, and here we are today. We're we're fighting the fight, um, but I, I do love the role. It is different than being an investor, um, but I'm. This is what I want to do right now for sure. I'm all in. Was there a moment that you remember the kind of tipping point moment that led you to to take the job? Like something that you saw or thought of, or, or any particular moment where you said, "This is what I'm going to do." Well, it, it was a little bit, it was funny because there were a lot of people from traditional neuromodulation who really wanted this job. I mean, oh, let's really? be clear, this was a highly sought after role. Um, but we, we, the search committee and the board knew that we wanted to do it differently. We wanted Cala to be able to create its own market and create its own path. And so it was actually a conversation with my husband that prompted me to even think about this. And hmm. so I, I was um, uh, on a plan to leave J&J after eight years of being there and uh, was looking at a couple other alternatives. And my husband said, what about Cala? I said, I don't want to be a CEO. <laughs> he said to me, well, what do they need, Renee? What do they need? And I actually kind of thought about it for two days. And I said, they need me. I have a unique skill set. I have, you know, obviously tremendous, you know, strategy and deal making in my background, but also a passion for, honestly, for, for learning and for failing fast and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. Um, so it was sort of the combination of kind of what I had come from and also kind of where I wanted to go as, a, as an individual. And, and it matched perfectly. That's fantastic. Uh, I love those. Uh, I love those moments where where life takes a different turn. I think it's really fascinating because I mean, for now you're, you know, um, treating essential trauma. But I mean, you're kind of trying to answer this question like, what are all the things that we could potentially, you know, treat with, you know, kind of like wearable neurostem? I mean, it just sounds like an exciting question. I mean, but that's exactly what we're doing, Chris. So we have a platform technology. And so we got really kind of focused on what are we building here and really understanding that our TAPS waveform is proprietary. Our dry electrode material is a very unique way to deliver electricity into the body without hydrogels, without metal, right? And so um, the combination of those two things allows us to do a lot of, uh, look at a lot of different indications. And so we have a partnership with MGH. They're running uh, four studies in vagal nerve using our stimulation platform and our electrodes with an auricular access point um, to the vagal nerve. We're running our three of our own new studies on our wrist platform and our ear platform this year. So over the course of the next 12 months, we'll have, we'll have data from upwards of seven more indications uh, beyond essential tremor. We're submitting our Parkinson's data to the FDA over the summer. So that's coming up. Wow. That would be a label expansion. Yeah. So it's, there's, um, there is a lot to treat. Electricity as a medicine is not new, but doing it in a wearable way is super cool and, and super impactful. Yeah. 
Very much so. It sounds like we're going to have to have you on again later this year. It sounds like there's going to be more news. Well, we oh do have Delight Sox West coming up October 19th and 20th. So uh, we'll hopefully we have, we will have Kyler represented there. But uh, the, the past two years, I think, have been an interesting time for companies to to, to sort of reorient themselves. We certainly did that with the podcast and with our webinars and things like that. Uh, how did you find the past two years were productive for Cala? Was it what 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 did you what were you not doing that allowed you to do what you needed to do? I wasn't traveling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>. good point. <laughs> but, um, but we did what everyone did on March 16th. We went to a shelter in place mode and we yeah. um, we tightened our budget. We we took out any extraneous expenses we didn't want to spend that year, and. We also then realized that we are an essential employer and we have products in patients' homes. We have the, the you know, elegant opportunity and, op- and obligation to deliver product to our patients. And so we went back to the office by May of 2020. So we were in the office before there was testing, mm-hmm. before there was any uh, you know, hope of a vaccine, and we figured it out. Um, I'm very proud of the company that uh, we had five total diagnoses of of COVID during their two plus years of of all of this and no transmission, which means that we were wearing our masks. We were wiping everything down. We were super safe, making sure we're, you know, washing our hands frequently. And um, we grew. We had a little bit of a slowdown around April of 2020 with our prescription volume. But by June of that year, we were back on a growth trajectory. Fantastic. No, it was interesting. We, we did a supply chain conversation at Device Talks Boston, and there were uh, more than a couple of panelists who sort of regretted how long they were out uh, during COVID, that they wish they could do a do-over and find a way to get people back sooner. So yeah, uh, we're still in hybrid uh, mode. We're still letting people work from home, especially people who are like software coders and right. other folks who don't have to touch the device. But we had to have we had to bring in all of our manufacturing techs. We had to bring in the whole quality team. Um, and so my I felt as a CEO of the company, I had to be in too. Yep. So I was in probably two days a week in those early days and we just kept figuring it out. Now this whole discussion about, you know, hybrid work modes that actually plays in really well to our uh, number five new markers. <laughs> Very our smooth, new markers, Chris. There we go. I just <laughs> put that in there. All right. This guy's a professional. Go ahead, Chris. Okay. What's number five? I learned five? from the best, Tom. I learned from the best. <laughs> so, you know, number five on the list is, you know, Abbott is uh you know they're they're kind of like trying to work through all these like how do we have you know hybrid you know work environments as you know we uh you know try to move beyond covid and it looks like one of their solutions was uh open some really hopefully cool offices in downtown chicago that could be closer to some people's uh homes so they're uh going to be opening uh, offices on uh, two floors of the uh, Willis Tower in uh, downtown Chicago for uh, people who are uh, as uh, old as, as me. They'll remember that uh, this was the Sears Tower. It used yeah. to be the tallest building in the world. So, but yeah. Isn't so, it like 100 floors or something crazy? Yeah, more than 100 floors. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, Abbott's only going to take two of those more than 100 floors of, uh, of the Willis Tower, but um, yeah, not going to be their headquarters. But, uh, but yeah, so for you know employees who are looking to get it back in the office more, and the downtown's closer to them than the north suburbs where Abbott is headquarters uh, headquartered, then it looks like starting uh, next uh, next year they'll be able to. Uh, yeah, second half of 2023, they'll have uh, offices to work at in downtown Chicago. Wow, that's cool. So that's, that's, that'll help them uh, avoid the commutes that they want to avoid and uh, give them a really nice view. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even Fantastic. take a long lunch break, do a Cubs game. It'll be great. Good time. <laughs> <laughs>
You're going to move to any high rises at Cala there, uh, Renee? No, we just moved to <laughs> our new office. We went from 16,000 square feet to 36,000 square feet. Wow. Now. So, yeah, we have uh, brand new offices in March of this year. That's Where great. are you looking? San Mateo. Yeah, come visit. Fantastic. Beautiful. We will be out there October 9th, 19th and 20th at Device Talks West. We'll definitely stop by. All right, Chris, what is number four on the new Marcus Newsmakers? Well, number uh, four on the list was uh, some uh, good news for uh, Medtronic's spine business. Uh, they uh, got a uh, clearance for uh, their uh, new uh, LigaPass 2.0 ligament augmentation system for uh, spine surgery. Um, you know, actually, one of the things that just I thought was kind of interesting about this was that the original LigaPass platform um, was developed by Metacrea, which uh, Medtronic acquired in 2020. It, it got FDA clearance in a 2016, but that was for like a much more uh, pediatric use. So this kind of kind of looked like an interesting example of you know something that you know started out more in the pediatric space and now you know becoming becoming more of a uh, you know general general device. Uh, so you know you know I, I, there's always this need for more pediatric devices. So it's you know kind of neat to see an example of like kind of the argument like hey you can do things that can help kids and then we can expand this out and you know you have even a larger uh, markets out of it. And I know Metacrea also brought uh, or gave Medtronic some uh, some artificial intelligence systems that could be used in the surgical planning. And I think LigaPass is all part of that as yeah. well. So, uh, and it looks like this is uh, used to, uh, you know, like, you know, it's it's designed to have a positive impact on, a, you know, P, PJK, which it's, that's like a common, you know, post-operative complication that, you know, the, um, the involving adult spinal deformity surgery, you know, the, where you can get even more, uh, you know, severe failures. So looks like a, looks like a really good use. Renee, this must've been a big part of what you were doing when you were at J&J. I mean, with their orthopedics platform or was spine not a big part? No, we, we, we supported the whole business. Yeah. So I literally supported, you know, all, what is it? $28 billion of J&J medical device revenue with new investments. Yeah. It's a lot. You had to know a lot of body parts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's hear a little more about Cala Health from Deanna Harshbarger. She is the Vice President of Product at Cala Health. She's held similar positions at Medtronic, Boston Scientific, and J&J. We'll talk about her career in this interview, and we'll talk about uh, what it's like to work on a product like Trio. But first, I want to bring back our sponsor, Acuity MD. I spoke with Mike Monavukas about Acuity MD's offering for the med tech industry for medical device companies and uh, asked him, how does Acuity MD work with medical device companies? Let's listen. We primarily work with the sales and marketing organization at med tech companies and offer them three key value propositions. The first is that we help sales teams increase pipeline. And to date, since our founding, we've helped the med tech industry generate over $2 billion in new pipeline from using Acuity MD. The second value proposition is helping sales reps increase their win rates. So we did a study and looked at the top 10 most active sales reps on Acuity MD. So these were sales reps that were logging in daily and using the platform multiple times a day as they went to target and call on, on surgeons. And those top 10 sales reps saw a 25% increase in sales since adopting the Acuity MD technology platform. The third big value proposition that we offer is helping med tech companies save time across the organization. So we can implement our software in a week. So that's one week to get your sales reps targeting and, and building pipeline in Acuity MD. And you know, in the process, we save a lot of the manual effort the reps 
spend on researching information and manually entering it into other systems as well. And, you know, we believe saving time kind of kickstarts this cursive cycle where the more time we save reps, the more time they have to go back and increase their pipeline and win more deals. And so everyone wins when you can save the sales organization time and give them a resource to build their pipeline. Well, Deanna Harshbarger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's great to uh, to talk about Trio, uh, and we'll get into that a bit. But I wanted to understand a bit more about your role at at Cala. But first, I'd like to know how you uh, how you found your way into the medtech industry. Sure, sure. It was it was a long journey. So I'm not going to tell you how many years back, but <laughs> years ago, I was in a totally different space. I was a practicing chemical engineer. Used to wear steel-toed boots and a hard hat. Wow. So, you know, typical daily work attire. I didn't realize chemical engineers required either a hard hat or steel-toed boots. I worked in some chemical plants and it was a fantastic experience. But I think having been in that industry, I really wanted to do something different and get closer to customers. So, so I went on to business school and in business school was really when I, I caught the healthcare bug. And I think it's fundamentally because having been in the chemical industry, I wanted to be in a different space where every day I could do something that really mattered to people that I was helping. And so postgraduate school was, I got into healthcare and never looked back. And in particular into med tech and and the device space. That's great. So you worked at Cordis, you were at Boston Scientific for a time uh, in deep brain stimulation, and uh, most recently at Medtronic. So you were, uh, you, your, your card has been punched by some big companies. Good for you. <laughs> How did you find your way to, to Cala? What was the appeal? Yes. So I really think Cala came along at the, the, the perfect timing. For me, I, I, spent, I spent the majority of my med tech time in deep brain stimulation, so uh, about 13 years there, absolutely loved the brain, loved electricity as medicine, but really wanted to get into the digital space. And that's what took me to in the, the diabetic space into continuous glucose monitors, smart insulin pens, which is really where a patient has the opportunity to treat using digital an app, for example. And Cala called me around that time and I thought, wow. This is an opportunity to take two things that I absolutely love and combine them together, which is this really real opportunity to to use electricity as medicine and also to be able to be in the digital space. And fundamentally, having spent so much time working with movement disorder patients, understanding the significant unmet need there is for essential tremor patients, I thought, shame on us if we are not offering people this amazing therapy to make their lives better. So I was like, great. How can I get on board? That's great. And, and that's a, a great point as well. I mean, I, I feel like as a, as a media guy reporter, sometimes you try to apply these themes or statements to things that just happen. You try to give them a bigger meaning than perhaps they do, but it really does feel like we're at a point where the technology is, is technology is allowing for patient empowerment and giving patient control over, over their own care. So that's not an overstatement. You feel like we're sort of at a tipping point as well? I certainly do. I, I really look back over the past five years and you see this acceleration of people wanting to be in control of their own health. 
which is fantastic. And, and it, it's really been this shift from, oh, I will do whatever you tell me to do, doctor, to, well, in addition to what you're telling me to do, what else can I do personally? And how do I more holistically look at myself to, to, to be better? And we are seeing that come from a space where historically just under government regulation, things have been slower in the past. And I think COVID really accelerated that. And now we're at a point where all parties involved want to be able to get better. And this is the way to do it. Absolutely. So you joined Cala as uh, as vice president of product. Tell me, what does a vice president of product do at Cala? Yes. So my team's job is to really look holistically at what we put in front of patients and healthcare providers and ensure that they have a holistic best experience. And that's a broad term, but fundamentally under that is, are we providing the the proper efficacy for the patients? Are we making it easy to fit into their lifestyle instead of forcing something onto them? And then from the healthcare provider standpoint, are we basically helping to carry the burden to get their patients to a better outcome? Our job is to be able to be a partner in, in that process. So we look at that holistic experience end to end and say, what do we provide to patients and healthcare providers to get there? So who are the troops, for lack of a better word, sort of under, under that effort when you're designing for a patient? Are you involved with, with product design, with user interface, all, all of the above? Is it all kind of coming up through through your group? All, all of the above. And um, I like to say that, and we just had a conversation in the organization the other day, every single person at Cala is involved in providing this to our patients and to our healthcare providers. And so, you know, we really go through a process, which I think is fundamental to med tech and to the device uh, space, which is what you call the standard development process. And so that starts with really understanding what are the needs of the patients, what are the needs of the healthcare providers, what are the needs of Cala, and what are the needs of the payer group so that we can get access to our patients. And so we look at those needs and we say, okay, then how do we solution something that will fit all of those needs that's that's a value add? And then that takes us into the standard development process. And so from a design standpoint, we are looking at how do we make the best experience? And and that's where UI comes in, design comes in, research and development, digital. So really every person. Great. So Talk as if we're we just met at someone's uh, barbecue. What is the, what does a Calatrio look like? How does it sit on a patient's body? Yes, so so Calatrio is similar to a watch. It sits on your wrist, and you are able to get treatment whenever you need that treatment. So if I'm a patient with tremor and I want to be able to sit down and I want to be able to have my coffee, all I need to do is put on my Calatrio and it's like a watch. You put it on just like a watch and it has a button on it and you press that button. You go through a couple prompts and it helps you get stimulation and you'll feel a little bit of a stimulation. And that's how you also know that it's working. And then about 15 minutes into having that stimulation, you'll start to see a change in, in your tremor. Amazing. So two sides of this, there's the, the, the therapeutic part or the, or the part that is effective in slowing the tremors. The other part is just 
you, we, we, you, you kind of buzz through it quickly, but it's you know pushing two buttons. How much thought goes into that side of the aspect, the, the patient interface? And, and how do you draw the information you need from patients to, to ensure that that part of the product runs as smoothly as possible? Yes, there is a lot of thought. So, so things that are well designed, you don't even think about them. Mm-hmm, right. Use them. And so that's that's our goal. So really what we do is first, there's typically a form of like ethnographic research, it's called, where you go out and you would actually follow a patient and see what it is they're going through in a day, for example. And not only do you ask questions, but um, I think everyone always says a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, you actually videotape so that you can see what it is and where the struggles are. And so then you take that information back and and you come up with a concept design and then you take it back out to a patient. And we look at patients that have already been using our system and those that have never used it before and never considered it. And we don't give them any instruction. Hmm. (laughs) We just put it into their hands and you see what happens from there. And that tells us a lot about how should we do that setup? How do we make it so that it is very intuitive? Interesting. And how do you factor physicians into the design as well? Do you need to sell them on it or do you need to sell it to the patients? How, how important is the physician input? And in, in the, the user side, obviously it needs to be effective and therapeutic, but. It's equally important because mm-hmm. that, that, that physician, that healthcare provider has to make the decision to say, this is, this is a right solution for you for, uh, as a treatment. So they have to prescribe. And so they have to make sure that it's valuable for the patient. So that goes back to the usability. You also mentioned the, the efficacy. The other piece is how do we ensure that we're not putting burden on the healthcare provider? Hmm. And we want to make sure that it's very simple for them to prescribe and their patients don't have any issues with it or any questions. And so we do a similar process with them as well. They are the ones that see the patients day in and day out. And so while we do our own research and we are watching the patients, they are seeing hundreds, if not thousands of patients. And so their input is very important. How different is this? I mean, it is different, but how different is this process from previous products you've worked on where, I mean, deep brain simulation patients don't have any input on that at all. They're not going to be mostly, I mean, I guess perhaps if there's applying the energy to the brain, but how does this compare to other medical device companies where all the activity happens inside the patient or inside a surgery where the patient never has any interaction with, with the device? Is it a completely different process? It's not completely different. It's more expanded. Mm-hmm. And so exactly as you're saying, in other places where it is something that the physician makes the decision of what to do and the patient never has any interaction with it, a stent, for example, you don't come in emergent on the table and say, oh, I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. It'll fit me better. Yeah. Uh, right. That is all <laughs> That is all decision by those that are qualified to, to, to make that decision. And so the difference is with what we do at Cala is we have to look a hundred percent at what that patient goes through because the outcome, the efficacy is based on how they interact with the system. And so that is a, is a process that's much more in depth that we do at Cala 
and isn't done. Not that the patient is not at the center of everything all healthcare companies do, it should be, but the interaction and the dependency on the outcome is very critical for Cala because the patient is making the decision when and how to use. Mm, that's a great point. So what does your follow-up look like with patients once they have a Cala? Are you, do you have a system for checking in with them six months, a year down the road, more constantly? All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so once a customer, always a customer, because that interaction is very consistent throughout. We always want to be there for the patient and any questions they have. So once they get Cala, we, we ship it directly to their house. They open it up and then they can do a couple of different things. One is they can go online. We have a patient portal where they can do their setup and follow along online. Not everybody wants to do that. So equally, we offer onboarding. And so the patient would set up, in essence, like a Zoom call with Cala, and we individually walk them through, answer any questions that they have uh, to ensure that they absolutely understand what they're, how to do the setup, how to use it, any, any other questions that they might have. And so that's the start of our relationship together. And then the patients, you know, they vary on their usage depending on what is the best need for them. But what we've seen in, uh, in our real world data is that patients are using it approximately once a day. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship is there every day, every day that they use it, they are actually getting data about what their outcomes are. And what we do is we actually do surveys with them. We call them and we do checkpoints in at 30, 60, 90 days. And then we'll do a longer term survey on a six month and a 12 month. And they can call us anytime. They can email us anytime. <laughs> and just final question. How, do, how does all this inform where you're going next with, with the trio? Uh, are you taking this patient information and developing new ideas, new applications, future iterations? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our, our objective is to get them the best efficacy and have it fit into their life. And so we always call it making sure that for everyone it's burden-free. So we would love to get to the point where we're basically tapping the patient on the shoulder saying, hey, it's time to put your Cala on right now. Mm -hmm. And don't worry about a single thing, just push the button. And then we will tell you when is the best time to use it. And so that data that is coming from the patient, they get an opportunity to see how they're doing. We're also taking a look at that to say, oh, is there a way that we can make this better for you? And that means one, from an efficacy standpoint, and two, from an overall usage standpoint. So they don't have to think about it. They have enough going on in their life. Excellent. Well, I appreciate uh, the insights on, uh, on the work you do and, uh, and on the device that you're, uh, you're offering. It's really uh, a neat addition to a very troubling disease or a neat solution for a very troubling disease. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. All right, Chris, let's, uh, let's roll on to uh, number three on the New Markers Newsmakers. Well, this news was out uh, last week, but we skipped last week. So I'm throwing in a few things from last week. We had uh, um, FDA clearing uh, Exobionics uh, robotic uh, exoskeleton for use, use with uh, MS patients. So just like uh, greatly, uh, you know, expanding uh, the uh, use of their uh, exoskeleton. So, you know, some good news in that space. Interesting. I was just saying some week we have some weeks we have some real doozies, you know, in, in these, but it looks like we're we're having like more positive news this week. Yeah, no, <laughs> no layoffs or, or recalls this week, it looks like. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I mean, this is all cool stuff. The exoskeleton opportunities. Is this something that 
Right now, I don't know. I'm thinking about someone who's having t- trouble with tremors or, or control of their body. They have this and they have a, a bioelectronic component to it as well. Do you, do you look at sort of how what you're doing might ultimately work into a larger robotic exoskeleton system that could support a person? We haven't looked that direction. We think uh, an interesting opportunity for Calip in particular is to go more of the neuromod plus drug mm. uh, angle. Mm. And so there are conditions like MS is has very many symptoms associated with it. So for some of those multi-symptom diseases, having a combination uh, may actually be the, the the win for the patient. You know, hand tremors or essential tremor, the, the primary symptom is the most bothersome symptom. And it's the one we're treating, mm-hmm. which is of the hands. Uh, but, you know, it also has voice tremor and head tremor that goes along with it. But those tend to be less bothersome to our patients. But MS is one that we um, we watch because there are not a lot of great alternatives. I think there's a, a new drug that's come out that is pretty effective, but there's still so much opportunity to help those patients. And, and the, the pairing of the drug with the with uh, the trio or, or whatever technology would be, would be basically the drug would get you to a point and then the trio would sort of bring it to the finish line and, and help stop the tremor even tremor even more. Yeah, in in tremor, you know, we we take all comers, and so we patients are either are oftentimes on medications when they're taking mm. when they're adding our drugs to their care path. Um, we actually also are looking at other conditions where there may be more severity to a condition at certain points, whereas maybe a, a, a daily stim dose could control certain episodes, but for more acute episodes, they'll they'll take the drug. So there's there's all sorts of different ways that we're thinking about it. Uh, more to come as we think about our future pipeline. Very cool, very cool. All right, Chris, what's number two on the new markers newsmakers? All right. Well, uh, number uh, two on the list, uh, this was also last week, Boston Scientific uh, agreeing uh, to, uh, you know, to purchase uh, Synergy Innovation's uh, majority stake in MI Tech. And uh, MI Tech, uh, you know, has a a family of um, conformable, non-vascular, self-expanding metal stents for the uh, periphery. So this is uh, just, uh, you know, like an example of, uh, you know, Boston Scientific just like expanding its uh, portfolio. And we even had an analyst uh, at at BTIG, uh, uh, Marie Thibault, uh, you know, saying that this, uh, you know, this gives Boston Scientific the uh, opportunity to complement its uh, non-vascular stent portfolio and bolster its international presence. So it's just about, you know, Boston Scientific growing its portfolio. $230 million. That's fantastic. No, they've they've been a a big time acquirer of late. It's nice to see them continue. Uh, And I see the company's based in Korea. Yes. So... And they're uh, acquiring Korean company manufacturer and distributor of metal devices for endoscopic and urological procedures. So I wonder if they do any more manufacturing there of, or if they'll just continue to manufacture the products they have. Is this another manufacturing spot for Boston scientific? Oh, that's, that's a really interesting question. We, we might have to ask about that. Well, we, <laughs> we will have Mike Mahoney on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So maybe, uh, maybe I'll go. try to slip that one in there and see if. Slip that one in. Oh, I'll great. I tipped him off. Now he's going to hear this. And know yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> taking notes. <laughs> I had a really fun uh, trip with Mike Mahoney right before he left JJ. <laughs> yeah, of it, I don't know. <laughs> he actually uh, came out to California and we took him around to a bunch of VCs, to Stanford, a bunch of our portfolio companies and, and I think over the career, he kind of came in a little bit skeptical. And he, by the time he left, he's like, I love venture. This is great. It's so exciting. <laughs> he left like two weeks later. <laughs> what was, how was that? Uh, can you speak to just, uh, we, we, how, how was his departure seen at, at J&J? I mean, he was obviously uh, a leader there. Uh, was it, I don't want to apply any real negative 
terms to it, but but how was it? How what was the impact on uh, on folks when he decided to take the Boston Scientific job? Well, you know, he he went in as the number two when he first started yeah, there. That's right. Um, yep. uh, yeah. Right. Uh, I, I would say I. I, I was new to J and J. My impression was that they were, he had a lot of fans around the company. Yeah. So he was considered a very good leader, um, uh, tough, you know, very, he was pretty, you know, he, he kept things on time. So he's, you know, very disciplined, but um, he was very well liked. So I think it was a, it was a disappointment for many people. It was interesting at the time, like that he, that he left because, uh, you know, they're like the like J and J was friendly enough with Boston Scientific about the uh, the move that even caused the speculation back then that there's going to be a merger going on. You know, which uh, it's it's kind of funny. Like it's it's back again. People are chatting about that again. The the um, I was having been an investment banker. I always said I modeled all of those <laughs> all the time. You, you kept your, your model and you just yeah, refreshed just... <laughs> it every quarter for all those. <laughs> we had Mike Matson on last week as to why it would make a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, it would make a lot of sense, but I, again, as a Boston guy, I'm against. I want Boston Scientific to to remain an independent entity. All right, Chris, what is uh, number? It'd be like the Red Sox moving to New York. Like we can't have that happen. I mean, just... <laughs> bite your tongue, son. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no baseball on this, on this episode. No baseball. All right, it's a lot. Okay. No baseball. All right, you're the guest. You get to good. set that rule. All right, Chris, what's right. number one on New Marcus Newsmaker, Chris? <laughs> All right. Number one on the list, we have a G Healthcare uh, unveiling a wireless patient monitoring platform, uh, the, uh, the the portable ma- mobile uh, platform uh, to, uh, you know, they're, you know, marking this as, you know, wirelessly monitoring, uh, you know, patients throughout their uh, entire hospital stay. So, I, I mean, just uh, as, you know, anyone who's been in the hospital or has had people who've you know, unfortunately had to end up in the hospital. I mean, there are a lot of wires. So, you know, the, the word wireless uh, sounds sounds good. I agree. But I also think there's a big trend towards healthcare at home. And so that's, yeah, so I was like, I, I read that and I thought, nice move. It's important to get rid of the wires for, for sure. Um, but there's more opportunity even outside the hospital. I know Stryker with the Vocera acquisition, I think is looking at uh, a lot of these opportunities as well to to really turn the hospital bed into uh, into a data collection center where you can really track the patient. So, yeah. um, but you're right, Renee, I think, uh, the home care stuff is, is where the future's at. Although I guess we'll always need hospital beds. Unfortunately, is this number one, Chris, cause you're still trying to, uh, to, to get Medtronic to buy G healthcare. You're, you're trying to create your own little, uh, you know, there your own has, little rumor, aren't you? There is a lot of collaboration <laughs> between those two. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, let us bring in our next interview. I talked with Doug Bean. He's Chief Commercial Officer at CalaHealth. He previously served at iRhythm, where he was Executive Vice President of Marketing. And before that, he was Chief Operating Officer at AliveCore. We'll talk about his career path and, of course, what CalaHealth is doing to roll out the trio. But first, I want to complete my conversation with Mike Monavukis, the CEO of Acuity MD. In this next clip, Mike will talk about... Acuity MD's recent round of capital. Mike, I understand you uh, recently raised a, a significant round of capital. Absolutely. We, we recently announced our, our $31 million Series A. That was led by Redpoint Ventures, which was a venture fund behind Snowflake and Stripe and some great enterprise businesses. And they joined our existing investors, Benchmark Capital, uh, who invested in Uber and OpenTable and eBay and some great consumer and enterprise businesses as well. 
as well as Ajax Health, which is a med tech focused fund. So, you know, really lucky to have the best software investors, uh, as well as the best med tech investors on our cap table as we look to build a med tech software solution of the future. That's a great investor pedigree. Uh, QDMD is bringing in a lot of data and, and know-how into, into the med tech sales process. How do, you, how do you see this industry sort of changing in the future? You know, Tom, I'm not great at reading the tea leaves, but I do know one thing, which is that the pace of med tech innovation is going to continue to increase and more products are going to come on the market that are more innovative than the, than the previous ones. And it has to happen. There's anything that the last few years has taught us. It's that innovation in the medical technology space needs to keep progressing and we have a lot of work to do. So in that world where thousands of new technologies and products are getting approved, the med tech rep has a really important role to play to getting those technologies out to market efficiently. And med tech sales reps are really great at educating and training surgeons on the latest technologies for their procedures. They should be spending all of their time doing that and accelerating access to those technologies. Anytime they spend behind a computer entering notes into a legacy CRM or software system or filtering a long Excel sheet is a tax on this mission. And unfortunately, for the longest time, the med tech industry has not been given a specialized software to fit the unique needs and workflows of their reps. And so the reps have been forced to fit these clunky general purpose horizontal software tools that were built for other industries and for other sales processes. And they've been forced to fit these into the extremely nuanced surgical commercial workflow of the med tech industry. So I see a big industry trend towards med tech companies adopting new technology platforms that suit the med tech commercial process in a new way and empower their reps to be more efficient, productive, and successful, really be a force multiplier to help the reps sell and get new technologies out to market more efficiently. I will thank QDMD for sponsoring this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Once again, for more information, you can go to acuitymd.com. Well, Doug Bean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to, to learn this part of Cala's story. Wanted, though, first just to, to find out a bit about your uh, your path to Cala, because you've worked at a couple of uh, equally, I think, innovative companies, AliveCore and iRhythm. But before that, you uh, you were at Stanford. You you worked at uh, in the insurance industry in the for a payer. Let's kind of turn the clock back a bit. What led you to join the medtech industry? Was it your work at your study at Stanford first? What was your first experience? It, it was a thanks for asking. It was a very kind of I would call it an indirect or a career pivot. My early days. I was in the brand management business. I was helping companies like Microsoft, Intel, the Olympics manage their brands. And it was one of my clients at the Olympics that said, hey, Doug, check out this leadership opportunity at Blue Shield of California. I'm like, why in the world would they be interested in me? And why would I be interested <laughs> in them? I got no healthcare experience. But I took a leap and I learned. And at the end of the day, when I was thinking about brands, brands at the, at the core are relationships with people what's more important to people than their health. And if you look at healthcare in general, from a marketing lens, the bar's pretty low. So <laughs> I thought it was a great opportunity to make a difference and, and create impact. I don't see a lot of folks though, make the transition from payer to startup into, into running a company or, or working for a med tech company. What was the moment where you were, you, you realized you wanted to remain in healthcare, obviously, but wanted to do it differently? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I spent a lot longer than 
I expected in the payer world. The good thing about the payer world, you see very different vectors. You see it from the consumer lens. You see it from the provider lens. You see it from the reimbursement payer lens, regulatory lens. So it's a great training ground for all things healthcare. But from there, I got the bug and I've been ever since committed to helping bring our antiquated healthcare system into the 21st century. And towards the tail end of my tenure at Blue Shield of California, I was like, how can I help make the biggest difference possible? And where is innovation going to happen? And I really felt innovation was going to happen in these earlier stage market-making technology companies. And so I wanted to be at the epicenter of that because I felt that's where the change is going to happen. That's where we're going to bring this healthcare system into the 21st century. What did that transition look like? Well, I mean, it was it was a very um, challenging transition because you go from a very large bureaucratic organization like a health insurance company to a fast moving, ambiguous, nimble, early stage environment where from a leadership perspective, you have to think very different. So the perspective I gleaned from the payer world was very helpful, but from a leadership perspective, I had to really build new muscle in being comfortable in ambiguity, moving at fast pace, doing things differently in a system that often blocks innovation. And so it was an amazing learning curve for me as a leader. So your first job was with uh, with Relay Health. How did you come to uh, at least first job after post-payer first job was out of Relay Health? How did you decide upon that opportunity? Well, if you think about the healthcare system, unlike take any other industry, you know, e-commerce, retail, entertainment, you know, everything is accessible and transparent. In healthcare, everything is black box and not transparent. And one of the biggest problems is information is not liquid. It's all stuck in these different silos. And what was great about Relay Health is they were creating transparency of information between provider and patient. So patients and providers can be on the same page and better manage the care and their costs. And they were the first kind of internet-based patient-to-provider telehealth platform that created liquidity of data across different health systems, all so the provider could see one kind of view of that patient, irrespective of the EMR system they were on. So that, to me, was a very, that's a huge problem in the the industry. It's still a problem today, and they were definitely an early innovator in that space. That certainly seems like an appropriate bridge for someone to move from the payer community to to the tech community. So how did you ultimately move over to iRhythm, which is an ex- exciting company uh, in the, I, I want to say the med tech space, but it's, more, it's, it's data, it's tech, it's, it's a little bit of everything. But yeah. w- what happened there? Well, you know, I had, prior to that, I spent about two years helping grow AliveCore, which was the first FDA cleared smartphone-based EKG platform that was disrupting how cardiologists engage with their patients and diagnose and treat atrial fibrillation. And so we became one of the most innovative companies by Fast Company, and we were growing. And I had built a relationship with Kevin King over the years, who was the CEO of iRhythm. And the big challenge that iRhythm was up against is we've been growing, but how do we continue to grow now as a public company? And so, you know, my mission in joining iRhythm was how can I help iRhythm continue to grow at pace and really penetrate the large health system marketplace in which iRhythm becomes a new standard of care. That was my challenge. And when I, when I joined iRhythm, that's what attracted me to that opportunity. And I was there almost four years. 
You held different roles at iRhythm and a live core now at, at, at Cala. Let's talk about your what you're doing at, at Cala. What is your, your role as chief commercial officer? Yeah, so I'm trying to help the company expand patient access and drive growth at scale for the company. And so specifically responsible for all things revenue, sales, market access, marketing, et cetera, and obviously partnering across the whole organization in building this brand and bringing it to marketplace. And how does Cala's experience differ from or situation differ from a live core and iRhythm? I explained before I, we, we pushed record that it just occurred to me that, that a live core and iRhythm, I think we're applying new technologies to sort of existing pathways where Cala is bringing a new treatment system that, that wasn't previously available. So it's, it seems to be a lot greener field. You kind of started to swat away my observation, which is great. What were the similarities between what you're doing now at Cala's opportunity? And the opportunities that AliveCore and iRhythm had. Yeah, I think you did a good job, Tom. Uh, both AliveCore and iRhythm were disruptive technologies in given categories, antiquated tech categories that hadn't seen innovation in a long time. And I think what's different is Cala is actually creating an entirely new category on how to treat different patients and patient types. You're really making a marketplace. You're not transforming a marketplace. You're actually creating a marketplace. I think what's similar, though, especially with iRhythm and Cala, is both organizations are founded on a massive patient unmet need or treatment gap. And both of the organizations are providing novel, uh, safe, and effective therapies that didn't exist before. They're solving a major problem. And I think if you look more broadly into digital health or digital therapeutics, Organizations that are able to innovate new therapies, new diagnostics that change the way physicians treat and care for their patients in a clinically meaningful way, those are the winners. And that's one of the most attractive things about iRhythm, as, especially as, as why I was lured into uh, coming over here to Cala, is that there's a real difference to be made to really help physicians and help patients with, with their care. So what does your opportunity look like at Cal? Or what does your approach look like in Cal? I mean, you have a treatment for a previously untreated disease. It would seem like the idea of building out the commercial opportunity is just let people know about, it. <laughs> you know, we've got this thing that can help you. I'm sure it's a lot more complex than that. What is it like to build out a commercial strategy for a product that is treating a previously untreatable condition? Let me start with our North Star, because sure. that's really what's really compelling here. Our North Star is to pioneer this idea of bioelectronic medicine to free people from the burden of their chronic disease. And today, our focus from a chronic disease perspective is on people who struggle with movement disorders, specifically in a central tremor, for example, where people over time have this progressive disability in which their hands shake at high frequency, which prohibit them from drinking water, from cooking, from socializing. And as a result, they become socially isolated, higher incidence of mental health, higher incidence of substance abuse. It's very complex. And until Cala, there's really been very limited treatment options. Most of these patients, because they, they progress over age, have other comorbidities in which they're taking other medications. And so to add another medication, when you're already taking a number of medications, there's tons of side effects, which are debilitating. So that then therefore becomes not an option to treat their condition. The only other option, Tom, is surgical, which is hugely invasive, 
Who wants to have brain surgery? I don't. And then it's from a healthcare system perspective, it's very costly. And so therein lies that huge gap in care that one, don't enable physicians to operate at the top of their license. And two, more importantly, you know, patients, you know, don't have the quality of life that they're seeking. And so it's a huge problem. And then that's, that's today where we're focused. And I think what's compelling about Cala and our TAPS therapy is that it's, it's the only proven safe and effective with no side effect therapy that these patients can use on demand or throughout their daily living to treat their tremor so they can actually dress themselves, so they can actually eat, so they can actually socialize with confidence and be themselves again and do the things they love. And so it's incredible to be part of that mission, part of that, that, that organization, because this stuff really works. It really makes a difference. That's great. So what are the, the levers that you are able to pull or that you see that need to be pulled to, to open up the market opportunity for Cala. I imagine there's patients, there's physicians, and probably payers as well. How do you see the, the levers that you need to sort of manage to open this market up? Yeah. So, you know, at, at the highest level, we're, we're trying to build this innovative commercial engine that's repeatable, predictable, and scalable, not only for movement disorder, but beyond, because we have other indications that we're in development with. And so with that engine, if you look at the marketplace, I call this a two-sided marketplace. It's no different than Uber or Airbnb. In our case here, you have the, the consumer. What we have to do is we have to educate consumers that there is an alternative that's safe and effective and get them to engage with the brand and actually create pull in the marketplace to, to introduce uh, this therapy to physicians. And then if we do that really, really well, they'll use it and they'll continue to use it and they'll advocate on, on our behalf to other you know, other friends or family. The other side of the marketplace is the provider, right? You really have to demonstrate with clinical evidence to providers that you've got a therapy that's going to change the way they're going to treat their patients and it's proven. And then you got to prove that we're not going to clog up your workflow, that we're going to easily integrate in your day-to-day workflow. And if you do that really well, you do that consistently, you build that trust, and then they'll tell their peers and their markets that, you know, Cala is a new standard of care. If you could do that well, that two-sided marketplace, you create that flywheel effect. And that's what we're really focused on is how do we create that flywheel effect? And you mentioned it, access, affordable access to care, especially in the U.S., is critical. We have a, a number of strategies that we're executing on right now to expand patient access, both on the government side with Medicare, as well with commercial payers, either through Medicare Advantage or their commercial benefit plans. Who are the physicians that? Uh... That you're connecting with? That's a great question. So not all physicians are created equal. A typical initial point of care is your general physician, your GP. Mm-hmm. What we find is general practitioners are what I would call a dabbler. They'll have a patient that may be prescribed, but then they won't continue to prescribe. So what we're really looking to do is really establish a new standard of care. And the primary physician is your general neurologist. That's the physician who really has poor choices today. They either have drugs, as I explained, come with a lot of side effects and high discontinuation rates. That doesn't feel good to prescribe because you know they're not going to work. Or the other alternative is to refer the patient for surgery, which very few, less than 1% patients qualify, let alone be interested in in surgery. So the general neurologist sees Cala as a safe and effective 
therapy option that adds to their toolkit, they could better manage their, their patient population. And so the general neurologist and the movement disorder specialist are the two primary call points for, for us from a commercial perspective. And if you look at where the patient's flows are, it's those practices that really see kind of an organic flow of patients looking for solutions. So how do you win over those physicians? Obviously, the therapy has to work and you've got that down, but do you demonstrate to a single one? Do do you really kind of make a strong case with a small number of people and, and, and win them over and hope it spreads from there? Or do you sort of plant a lot of seeds and hope that you'll get a critical mass of the community to refer? It's probably a combination of both, but what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, first, what we don't do, and I think this is a good lesson learned, we don't go into market and chest beat how cool our technology is. Hmm. Look how great these speeds and feeds are. You should try it. What we try to do is position Cala as a partner with these physicians, these neurology physicians and practices, in that we are helping them raise their standard of care and help them as a practice differentiate their level and quality of care to their existing and prospective patients. And by doing that, we really kind of deliver on four dimensions. It's like, first and foremost, improving the clinical outcomes of their patients. So we really reinforce how does Cala do that. The second is, is how do we really demonstrate how we are engaging and satisfying their patient population for them to trust us to prescribe Cala? And then third, this often is overlooked, but you know, physician burnout is real. I mean, all you need to do is Google physician burnout and you'll get tons of published studies on how taxed physicians are with seeing more patients with less time and administrative burdens, et cetera. And so if you add a click to their workflow, I'll tell you, no matter how cool your technology is, they will not prescribe it. So our third area of focus is how can we make it as easy as possible for these physicians and practices to prescribe Cala and manage their patients? And fourth, this is more more of a, a system or a payer level dimension is how do we lower the total cost of care? And so essential tremor patients, for example, are typically much more complex than non-essential tremor patients, and they have a much higher cost burden on the system. And so we also incorporate how when patients are on CALA, how they stay on CALA, they comply with CALA, they're seeing the clinical effect with CALA over time to demonstrate a, a, a more cost-effective alternative. And those are the four dimensions that we're really focused on. And if you could do that, Tom, then the physician, the nurse, the practice manager, see that you as a partner, CALA as a new standard of care, and then repeatedly start to prescribe CALA as, as part of their protocol. So you have to think about that care continuum. How is CALA prescribed? How does a patient get CALA? I don't even know if it's prescribed. First of all, a physician has to do an evaluation to really assess the severity of their tremor, what activities of daily living can they and can't they accomplish with regards to their tremor. They have to assess the alternatives of treatment, such as medication or us or surgery. Oftentimes, these patients have tried multiple medications and have failed. A very typical situation, Tom, is you know a patient comes back in and say, doc, this, like you said, this, this medication comes with too many side effects. I can't deal with it. What alternative do you have? And then the physician will prescribe it. And what's so easy about our solution, it's a, it's a remote-based solution. So once a physician prescribes, we kind of take over that patient relationship. We do the patient outreach. We do the patient education. We work with their insurance provider to get coverage. And then we support them along the way because people don't wake up in the morning and say, 
oh, I'm going to go take a bioelectronic medicine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we got to help get them comfortable with that experience and trust that experience and see the value for themselves. And so we do all that on behalf of the physicians. And then we provide that closed loop feedback back to physicians to say, hey, these are your patients that are on Cala. Here's the kind of experience they're having. Here's a clinical effect. And we try to keep them obviously owning that patient journey, but we support that remotely. It, and that's so much to get through. And I could obviously could talk about this for a long time, but it's a lot to convey to physicians who you just said are, are burnt out. And obviously, if they're burnt out, they're not necessarily the most approachable people for a salesperson they've never talked to before, especially with the device that they don't know anything about. How do you overcome that maybe initial uh, resistance that they have to just having someone else talk to them for 15 minutes about something? I'll say maybe three things. First of all, as I mentioned, this category is ripe for innovation. The clinical guidelines haven't been updated for decades. So these physicians, you think a physician likes it when they have a patient that has a real debilitating condition and they don't have an alternative. They don't like being in that situation. They're not, not able to operate at the top of their license. So there definitely is interest from neurologists and movement disorder specialists of what is a new and safe and effective alternative. And so you definitely get those folks that are leaning in. The other way is, you know, the patient. The patient is a powerful advocate for his or her own care. And so when a patient comes in and says, hey, doc, I saw this, I've done some my own research, here's some information that Cala provided me. That often is a great trigger for, for that initial prescription. And then I would say third, and maybe most profound, Tom, and this is where I think any early stage med tech, med, you know, digital health company really needs to focus on is the clinical evidence. One thing that Cala has done so well, aside from such an elegant innovation, is they really have spent time early on building that clinical evidence. And by having clinical evidence that is reputable, credible, published, robust, that's the information that physicians listen to. They're not going to listen to a slick salesperson that's got a great pitch. Right, right. They want to see the evidence. And that's something that Cala has done really, really well. They overinvested early on the generation of clinical evidence versus accelerating commercialization too early. And so I think that's one of the things that they've done so well that any organization, especially at an early stage, can really learn from. So kind of in closing, Calis is a, is a great example of bioelectronic medicine that's actually, we're beginning to see it deliver. We're seeing the term used more, more broadly. Medtronic and others are, are using it. It's, it's out there. I think it's something people are going to become more familiar with. As, as you're telling this unique story, what is it that the tip of your spear to sort of get the word out? Is it content to, to reach those patients, to get them comfortable and sort of get them as allies? Is it, again, the data for the physicians and, and giving you choices? So it's probably going to be a combination of both. But what has Cala learned from this experience that other bioelectronic medicine companies might be able to uh, copy in a good way, in a flattering way? Yeah. In our case, you know, if, like if I have a dollar to spend to your question, where am I spending that dollar yeah. to make this marketplace, to create this marketplace? This is a prescribed treatment. This is not something you get to buy off on Amazon. This is not a wellness, you know, therapy. This is a this is a prescribed therapy. And your physician is your gateway. And so, you know, from a dollar perspective, we're definitely spending, I'd say, 50 cents of that dollar on helping physicians, neurology, general neurologists, movement disorder specialists understand the clinical value of this new therapy option for their patients. The other part of the dollar we're spending is how do we get 
those that pay for it, the government, Medicare, commercial payers, to understand the complexity of this patient population. I could tell you right now, a medical director from any large payer, regional payer, national payer, it doesn't matter. They don't wake up in the morning and say, essential tremor patients are on my top 10 priority list. That's just not the case. And so it's our job to help them understand the complexity of this patient population, the gap in care that they have, the cost of the system, and connect those dots and why CALA is a great solution for the payer to offer to their members to provide better quality care to their members and differentiate their plans. And so we're spending a lot of of time there to expand that access because in the U.S., if you don't have affordable access, you're not going to get adoption. And then the remaining part of that dollar is spent on helping consumers understand their their options and helping them make it easy for them to understand, make it easy for them to use, and making it easy for them to afford. And that's the other part of the dollar that we're spending. Well said. Very good imagery. So that explains it well. Doug, I've enjoyed the conversation, obviously. Thanks for uh, joining us in the podcast. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having us. All right, Chris Newmarker and Renee Ryan, this is the time where we tell people how to find us out there on the internet. Renee, you are our guest. So please, uh, where can folks find you and Cala? Yeah, you can find it Cala at uh, www.calahealth.com. Uh, we've got all the information about our the company, our product, the, the conditions we're treating, and we'd love to connect with anybody. It's awesome. Chris Newmarker, where are you on, on social media? Hey, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Um, also on Twitter, at Newmarker, always happy to connect. Fantastic. I'm on Twitter as well, at MedTechTom. I rebooted my Instagram account. That is at MedTechTom as well. I don't know why, but if you want to see what my dog looks like, find me on on Instagram. And uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. Please do share episodes of this podcast and this particular episode on those social media channels. You can follow, subscribe. That's right. You got to follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast so you get future episodes of Device Talks Weekly, Intuitive Talks, and Striker Talks on this channel. And you can also subscribe separately to Medtronic Talks on their channel so you don't miss a future episode of any of those great programs. And finally, we'll uh, don't forget, we'll be connecting again or, or, or gathering again at uh, Device Talks West. It's happening October 19th and 20th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. Find out more information about that and about our upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays. All of that is on devicetalks.com. So, Renee, thank you uh, so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. And stay cool. Enjoy the summer. Thank you.